0: Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Hello, and welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is your host, Tad Dickel, and I'm here today with our guest, Bob Jones. I'll be honest, this is one of the episodes I've really been looking forward to uh, interviewing you, and so I'm, I'm excited to be here with you today. Thank you, Bob. Yeah, you may want to raise your expectations just a little bit, Tad. but thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. So, Bob, we were just talking that coming up in May, it will be his fifth year being retired as chairman and CEO of Old National Bank. Maybe you could start uh, just sharing your background with our listeners, those who aren't familiar with you.
1: So I'm a lifelong banker. I started with a, a bank out of Cleveland called Society Bank in 1979 as a management associate, and my first real job was to clean basements and branches. So for three months, I cleaned out basements and grew up from there. Eventually, uh, we merged with another bank called KeyCorp out of Albany, and in uh, 2004, I got a call from a recruiter saying there was an opening for a CEO job in Evansville, Indiana. And I thought I'd heard Evanston. And my wife said, well, it's near Chicago. Let's take a look at it. And lo and behold, it was in Evansville. Um, but I uh, was thrilled to have joined Old National back in September of 2004. And uh, I haven't looked back since.
0: Great. How would you describe then your approach to leadership? I know in some previous conversations, you talked about you related it to coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how would you characterize your your leadership approach? Yeah,
1: you know, I'm a, a football junkie. And, you know, I, 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 when I was young, I read a book called Instant Replay by Jerry Kramer multiple times. And he played for the Green Bay Packers and the infamous Vince Lombardi. And Lombardi had a great saying, you win with people. And it's just really been my philosophy for my whole career is I'm not the sharpest blade in the drawer, and I knew I needed to surround myself with great people. And if you create a culture where people want to be where they're working, and people want to be working for you, then uh, it makes life a lot easier. So for me, it's it's as simple as getting great people, help coach them, and just let them do their jobs.
0: We had a conversation also. When you took over at Old National, you really wanted to focus on building a a strong culture, a culture that people wanted to work for. What were some things that you did to make that come to life?
1: Um, began with communication, to be honest with you, Tad. Um, I'm a big believer that communication, both internal and external, you have to set expectations and create a culture. And so one of the first things I did is and I went out and hired some really great communicators. Um, Kathy Shetland, who you, well, she's a modern day person. Of course, you know her. I hired Kathy from the Red Cross and she became our external communicator. And more importantly, she became our heart and soul. Because if you think of what Kathy is, I mean, she bleeds people and uh, does a great job. And then we hired Patty Avery, who was working for a local TV station. And what we did is we we set out a vision, which is we're going to create a culture of inclusiveness for our people. Uh, we're going to be firmly, firmly committed to the communities that we're in. Um, you know, we had a saying that, our communities that we serve are only as good as we are, and we—it's our job to make sure we invest in them to make them better. So, and then you just you communicate. If you think you did it once, you do it again. You do it again, and everybody has a different view of how they receive communication. So it's either verbally, or some people like to read communication, and so you've got to be prepared to do it in multiple ways, and then just continue to reinforce the culture.
0: One of the things I, I saw you do occasionally I'd I'd visit the old national bank building downtown Evansville and I would regularly see you in the um dining area. I eat a lot of food, that's well, why I tell <laughs> I I think it was more intentional than that though. It just seemed like you had a real gift for connecting with people, relating with people having conversations probably some about work but uh, yeah you
1: know I think any time you have a title you know some people think there's this aura so you know as a CEO oh you know that's a special place and too many CEOs stay in their office and don't aren't visible and you know what we used to do and actually you know Jim Ryan is the current CEO and I would sit at the table at the end when people come off the cash register just to have conversations and you want to break down those barriers and we had a simple philosophy at the bank, which is our organizational chart was really an upside down pyramid. And I was at the very bottom because at the end of the day, I worked for the people that were doing the real work. You know, at the end of the day, the people that are serving the clients in the branches or our lenders or folks that are at cash management, they're the ones that are seeing the clients on a daily basis. And it was our job, my job, to make sure that they had all the tools to do their job.
0: Mm-hmm. You emphasized employee development. And really developing talent internally. What were some ways you did that? Like, what did that look like? Well,
1: much like a coach, you know, uh, when I played football in college, you had, you know, certain things you had to work on all the time. And for me, it was speed and a variety of other things. But we had really coaching plans for multiple layers of the organization. So, you know, everybody's got a lot of strengths. A lot of people have, we, we all have weaknesses, right? So you coach up to the weaknesses and then you ask somebody what they want to do. So you have this plan and say, Ted, where do you aspire to be? Not everybody wants to be the CEO. Some people just want to do the best at what they're doing, or some people want to grow. So our job was to give them all the tools to do that and, and really create a culture of education and teaching and learning and allow people to achieve whatever their dream is. And 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 you can't just put it on paper. You have to be active about it. You have to check in. You have to do that active coaching, and you have to make sure you put in uh, rewards and systems to you know make sure you're doing the right behaviors.
0: Mm-hmm. I think um, one of the reasons I like the term coach for a leader is because if you think about an athletic coach, so often what they're doing is they're providing immediate feedback, and just like on the scoreboard, we know who's winning and who's losing at any time. The coach really is informing the players, here's here's what you're doing well. Here's what you need to change. Here's how you can improve. Um, here are the adjustments that we need to make. And in many instances, in, in leadership roles, we end up putting off those conversations. We We wait until the quarterly review or the annual review and And instead of creating really this like coaching-style, feedback-rich environment.
1: Yeah, you know, it's hard, right? Sometimes when you have to tell somebody that they have opportunities to change, that's a tough conversation. But how unfair it is if you wait to that annual review and say, oh, Tad, by the way, 17 months ago you did this and it was wrong. And um, that's just not fair. And a good leader is somebody that is constantly helping their employees be the best they can be. And a lot of it's observational. You see something and, you know, you say, Hey, you might've thought about doing this a little bit differently or, you know, in, in an environment where people, uh, apologize and, well, I just want to do this and I'm sorry, but no need to say you're sorry. So, um, uh, you just got to coach people. And I, uh, you know, I think, again, that's what a great leader does.
0: Mm-hmm. What are you, what are you most proud of
1: throughout your
0: career as a leader?
1: You know, that's a great question. Um, I'm proud of what the company is today without me. Um, you know, the, the, the single most important job of any CEO is to create a succession. And I'm proud of Jim Ryan and what he's done. Um, you know, and I joke with Jim, I've been in the building, I think, five times since I retired five years ago. And a, a good CEO doesn't own the seat. They rent the seat. And it's their job to find the next tenant. And I'm extraordinarily proud of what Jim and his team are doing, and to me, that's the greatest legacy I have is the guy that's there, and he's smarter than I am. he's got a bigger heart than I do, and he's doing a great job
0: that is an area that that it seems like most many companies, maybe even most companies don't do enough of is succession planning and and having those tough conversations about where do you see yourself? who in the company might be in a position to Move into my role down the road. What what did that look like at Old National as you were thinking about transitioning to retirement?
1: Well, fortunately, our
0: board was uh,
1: very engaged. We would do succession planning not just at my level, but two levels below with our board. And you know, people move. You know, certain people that we thought were going to be potential successors, whether it was to me or somebody else on the leadership team. You know, over a period of time, they didn't respond as well as we'd hoped to some coaching or they decided they didn't want it. Not everybody wants to sit in those chairs. So our board was extremely engaged in that process. We would do annual, very deep dives, but quarterly conversations. And as they got closer and closer to my impending decision, those became very active conversations. And you think about a lot of companies, that particularly at the most senior level, they tend to have to go outside to hire that CEO. And again, back to what I'm proud of is that, you know, we had candidates that were internal that understood the culture, but yet could take the company to the next level. And I think that's a real testament to our board.
0: Mm-hmm. Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, talks about often in those good to great companies that they studied that one of the common denominators was a an internal person who moved mm-hmm. in the CEO role and it's easy for boards to think about bringing in somebody from the outside and to have fresh perspective but there is a lot of value i think finding the right person internally and then developing them over time so that by the time they are ready they it can really be a very seamless transition and take the you know they can be ready to take the organization to the next level without much of a learning mm-hmm.
1: curve Right, but the key to that is that the person that leaves, in this case me, has to be willing to allow that person to do their own thing, and that's really important because what you don't want is that person that's the new CEO looking over their shoulder, wondering, "Oh, you know, is this going to irritate him or do that?" And you know, fortunately, Jim and I had a great relationship. In fact, when when I was getting ready to leave, I gave him a pair of doll shoes, and I said, "This is the size of the shoe you have to fill. It's really your show." Um, but it's important, you know, and I think again, you know, I, I think about old national and, you know, we had a great culture, but the other thing I'm very proud of is that we had strong ethics and strong values and having somebody that grew up in that for lack of a better word, helps maintain that same focus.
0: Mm-hmm. Your humility always amazes me when you, when you say you, you gave Jim uh doll shoes uh, to describe the shoes that he had to fill. But it's true.
1: I mean, the reality it, He's a hell of a lot smarter than I ever thought I would be, and you don't, you can't live up to other people's expectations. You have to be your own, and Mm -hmm. that's really important.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's a great perspective too. If we think about what we can do to advance, you know, either our organization, our community, our society, if the people that follow us are better than us, that and really being committed to making sure that the people that follow us are better.
1: Yeah. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and again, that's, that's what leadership's all about. You Mm -hmm. know, it's great football teams are made that way. And, you know, you think about, you know, you know, Lou Gehrig replacing Wally Pipp at first base. You know, Wally Pipp was a great first baseman, but guess what? Lou Gehrig was a hell of a lot better. So Mm -hmm. that's important.
0: I've, I've had some, some discussions. So uh, for our listeners, I, I have some responsibilities teaching in the Master's of Science and Leadership program at at University of Evansville, and some of the students are uh, student athletes. And I, I always think it's an interesting conversation to talk to them and say, "Really, what? Let's talk about what's the difference between a good coach and a great coach." And I would argue that often the good coaches have just as good of a understanding of of maybe the the sport or the you know offensive defensive strategy but there's something about the great coaches that differentiates them and really that's that's the leadership piece it's that's not mm-hmm. it's what they create it's
1: mm-hmm. a, you know there's a lot of great technical coaches that understand the Xs and Os but Getting the execution part by the players and willing, having those players willing to do whatever it takes to win mm-hmm. um, makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you look at Tom Allen up at IU. You know, he's a great guy, good technical coach. He lost the team, you know, and it, it happens. But you know, think about a you know a great coach is that you're willing to do whatever it takes to support. and you don't want to disappoint them, right? You know, and that I think that's leadership is. And you don't want to be everybody's friend. You know, I mean, oh, you're just always friendly. You know, I'm not friends with anybody I work with, but I want them to respect me and appreciate me, but you got to be able to make those tough decisions too.
0: Right. Are there any setbacks that you've experienced in your leadership career that have influenced?
1: Oh, every day. (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. We all have flat spots, Mm Tad, and you just have to be aware of them. And, you know, I can be impatient. And I can put my expectations on others and expect them to do the same thing. And, and when they, they didn't do it, it sometimes manifested in something I wasn't proud of. Um, I'm not the greatest listener in the world. But I think a great leader has to know their flat spots. And I always say you have to have a Rolodex in your brain that triggers when you know that that flat spot's coming or you work on your flat spots. In all practicality, one of my flats, I'm an extraordinarily introverted person. I do not like to be in crowds and don't like to be in settings where I don't know people, but you have to work at it, right? And, you know, I think most people are surprised based on what I did that I'm going to, you know, I'd much as soon be reading a book, being home by myself, but doesn't come with the job. So, you know, and we all make mistakes. I mean, I make them every day, but you just learn and you know, try not to perpetuate them.
0: Mm-hmm were there were there intentional things that you did to develop or what was most helpful to help you continue to grow as a leader because you led led the company for um was it 17 years? Uh, 14 years. 14 okay. F- uh 14 years Just seems like 17 now. <laughs> for uh, and and sometimes that can be a I mean compared to other publicly traded companies that's a long tenure um, and, and so to continue to grow and develop and evolve leadership, it, it can be a real challenge.
1: It, it can, uh, again, that comes back to people though, as long as you surround yourself with the right people and you continually build your team, you know, you look at the team you start with and the team you ended with, it's going to be very different. And as long as you still wake up every day and you have that bounce in your step and that excitement, then, you know, it's an easy place. And, and, you know, if you got the right people you're working with and you love going to work, it makes a big difference, you know, and people always say, you know, what's the hardest part about retirement? And it's really the people you worked with. For me that, you know, I'd be in the office at 6.30 and Jim Sanger and I were drink two pots of coffee by 7.30 and I relish those times. And, you know, now all of a sudden I don't have them anymore, but I think it's a testament to the quality of the people you surround yourself with that that, that missing is there. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. That, um, I think that is a, a challenge for many people as they transition into retirement, the, you know, to find purpose, to find connection, to continue uh, relationships. And you you certainly have not had the traditional retirement in terms of sitting on the beach or uh, uh, probably playing a lot of golf. I know you've been pretty... I'm not very good at golf. <laughs> I know you've been been very busy. How how has that transition? It's going great. You know, you know.
1: Again, absent the 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 people I miss every day at the office, um, I'm blessed to be in a community that still accepts me to help in any way I can. And you know, I've got some great friends. And you know, it's um, you know, your brain is still sharp, but it's not necessarily um, your focus changes when you retire. And so, you know, you still got a lot of experience. And so. It's been good, you know, and, you know, it's, uh, there's an old saying, you know, it's better than I do, but you can never pay people back for the blessings you've received in life. You can only pay it forward. And, you know, part of what I'm trying to do is just to pay it forward for all the great things that have happened to me here in Evansville and you know, since I've been here.
0: Where, where are you finding meaning right now?
1: Well, yeah, that's a good question. My wife would say, oh, seriously, you got one more thing to do? Um, (laughs) You know, I'm active with the University of Evansville. Uh, Mm -hmm. I believe it's a a bedrock for this community and very, very important. And, you know, great people like you that uh, Mm -hmm. teach here and do things. So I've been very active at the University of Evansville. Um, I've been very active. We're, We're trying to form a community development finance organization here in Evansville. And you know, whatever projects come away, I'm still very, very active with behavioral health and mental mm-hmm. health uh, in in the city. And then, lately, I've uh, been asked by uh, mayor Alex Stephanie Terry to help her through transition as we get ready to replace a terrific mayor with uh, somebody I think is going to do a great job.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me about your your involvement here. You you said that you know you described University of Evansville as a bedrock of the community. Um, we're at a time where where people are arguing the value of a, of a college degree. Where do you find meaning in that work, and what what important role do you think that higher ed plays uh, in our community and in society? Yeah, well, great question. So the
1: meaning in the work is just walking on campus and seeing the quality of these students. Um, one of the things we started a few years ago at our board meetings is we have what's called a mission moment, and we bring in somebody associated with the university is not necessarily in the senior leadership team. So whether it be a student or a member of the faculty, um, and their stories are just incredible. And, you know, uh, they either bring tears to your eyes or standing ovations. Uh, Last meeting, we had Jim Byer's granddaughter who came and spoke about what this university meant to her grandfather and what it means to her. And that's why you do what you do. It's uh, the, the product we produce are these students. And You spend just walking around campus and you see, or, you know, just lately, Brent, I don't know if you saw the play, but unbelievable. And it was sold out uh, every performance. That's UE at its best. And, you know, we got a basketball team that's now seven and two. But the reality is it's just those students that make a difference. And, you know, to the people that say that higher education doesn't matter, you can learn all the technical skills you want in life. You know, I, I was a political science major. I, I I couldn't balance a checkbook when I got out of college and ended up being a banker. But what I learned in college were those, you know, non-technical skills, those behavioral skills, those people skills, those ability to interact and the ability to to still learn. And, you know, those are things you learn on campus. And, you know, and, and the professors here at UE do a great job of that, of really building that whole individual rather than just that technical side, because we've all been associated with people that are technically brilliant, couldn't get their self out of a paper bag if they tried because they don't have those interpersonal or those social skills that matter. And that's that's what you learn in four years at UE.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think the value in particular of liberal arts education is is in question, unfortunately. But, what, but when you talk to CEOs, and you say, what do young people entering the workforce need? They need all of the things that are being encouraged in a liberal arts education That's exactly right. The soft skills, critical thinking, um, you know um, the ability to have a conversation, the empathy all of those uh, areas are. so critical to success and we have CEOs say we need these things and then we, you know, sort of do the opposite thing and we say, well, this, this, this vehicle to achieve some of these soft skills is not worth it.
1: Yeah. So part of the problem is that liberal arts in today's world, you know, has a different connotation than it was when I went to college, you know, we have liberals and conservatives now. Well, you know, it's not, it's uh It's really the total being. And, you know, I used to have a saying at the work, I can hire anybody and teach them technical skills. I can't hire people that have drive and motivation and personal skills. And, you know, again, we go back to Kathy Shetland. When I hired her, she goes, I don't know anything about banking. I said, I don't really care. I want you to be the heart and soul of this institution. And, you know, she probably still doesn't know much about banking, but she really is the face and the heart and soul of the institution. And she reminds us every day what it's all about.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Right. No, I, I think you're right about that. Maybe sometimes the word, just the yeah. term or the phrase liberal yeah, arts just, is uh, a turnoff for some you know, we're, people.
1: We're in a weird world now. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, uh, again, you know, a political science, I, you know, we had to take philosophy and, you know, you learn a whole different side, you know, and, you know, languages and mm-hmm. all the things that a, a traditional liberal arts school does are so very important. And you still need a technical side. You know, we've got great engineers coming out of UE, but they're getting that other side that makes a whole lot of difference.
0: Mm-hmm. When you were eighteen years old, what did you think you might be doing at this stage in your life?
1: Well, if I hadn't met my wife, I'd probably be on the Mansfield Reformatory. But uh, um, I was always going to be a lawyer. Um, mm. You know, I grew up watching Perry Mason, and that was my dream. I was fortunate enough to be a you know a semi decent football player, so I, I you know these great life lessons. So. Mm-hmm. We recruited some mid-major schools. And then I went to this school in Ashland, Ohio. And this coach that looked a lot like Joe Paterno, after I did my visit, he looked over me over his glasses, you know, Bob, you better get a good education. You're just not that good a football player. Um, (laughs) And he was right, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I went to Ashland and got a phenomenal education. Mm -hmm. And again, back to the soft skills and things that we did, you know, was great. You know, I, I had classes, had six, seven people in them. And you really got to know the professors. And so I graduated and still thought I'd be a lawyer. And my wife wanted to live in Columbus, my fiance at the time. Wanted to be in Columbus, Ohio. And I took a job that got me to Columbus and went to law school for a couple of years at night and said, so if this banking thing doesn't work out, I'll go back to law school. But, you know, 40 some years later, I was still working on it.
0: <laughs> so you had mentioned, too, you, you're getting involved with the transition team for the mayor-elect mm-hmm. uh, Stephanie Terry. It's interesting because I, I think compared to many CEOs, you have had considerably more community involvement than, you know, than, than many of your peers. I'd be curious why, why that's important to you, why you feel like that has been an important use of your time. A couple of reasons. One, I was
1: blessed to work for an institution that's been in Evansville for 185 plus years. And it's an important part of the community. And, you know, this is home for, at the time, you know, a thousand employees that, you know, go to school here, their kids go to school here. And, you know, to try to make the community a better place is, I think, a moral obligation on the part of our institution and myself. Um, Part of it goes back to what I said earlier, it's a chance to pay it forward. You know, I'm you know, Evansville accepted my wife and daughter and I with open arms, and I want to create a better uh, opportunity. And, and in a humorous way, Tad, um, when I first got here, I, I always used to joke that Evansville had one of the worst inferiority complex of any city I'd ever been in, because they didn't realize how good they were or how mm. great they could be. And sometimes it takes people from the outside to show that and to make a difference. And you know, Neil Ollerbrook was a great mentor of mine and, you know, Tom Salmon from Barry and other folks that have come to town that had that same view. And I think you're, you're seeing some change that, you know, maybe 19 years ago we didn't think would happen if you just go downtown and, you know, walk around today. But um, it's all about leaving the place a better place than you found it.
0: Mm-hmm. When you said yes to help with this transition team. What are what are your hopes for this upcoming term for our, for a new mayor? I mean, we've had really only two mayors in 20 years. Yeah. Is that yeah, right?
1: Yeah, both great people, too. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about creating a great city and just continuing the great trajectory we are on. Um, much like Jim Ryan taking over for me, Stephanie's going to do things different than Lloyd did. Um, she'll build her team. Um, she's got her vision, but... The, the root of it is to do what's right for the citizens of Evansville. And I'm honored to be asked, I think probably because I had free time that, you know, that it can help, but it's really about what can we do to continue to have this community grow as we all know it and, and bring everybody together. You know, I think the, the beautiful thing about Evansville is, yeah, we have differences, West side, East side, Republican, Democrat, et cetera, but we really have a common belief in this community. And um, when we get around something, we do some great things, and that's really what we're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm.
0: One of the areas I want to ask you about too is that you know you you had a, an incredibly demanding job. A lot of eyes are on you. People are paying attention to what you're doing, how how you're spending time. How did you balance that with um, with your personal life? I, I think that that. That is something that many leaders really struggle. with. It's a
1: struggle, uh, and honestly, I was not great at it, and I, I got better over time. In fact, when we uh, we told our daughter, who in the time was in eighth grade, we were moving to Evansville, and one of her first comments to me was, "Will you be home more often?" Like, eek! <laughs> um, you know, when I'm blessed, my wife is a phenomenal reminder of those balance. Um, you yeah, know, there's some th- subtle things you can do too, Tad. You know, I'm I'm an early person, so I'd be in the office. 6, 630, and, but I intentionally left at 5 or 530 because I wanted to send the message to my troops that it's okay to go home. Um, you walk around and say, you know, get out of here, go home, see your family, and, uh, it, you know, you got to do what you got to do, and, you know, it's going to be there tomorrow. Um, I, you create a culture where it's okay to take time off. It's okay To spend time or go to your kid's soccer game or whatever, and again, it's there's an old saying: it's the shadow of the leader, and if the leader casts that shadow, then everybody else will follow it. And you know, if I work 20 hours a day, and you know, what do you mean you're going to see your kid's soccer game? You know, that gets around. But you know, if you create an environment where people fare, and you know, you, you think about again, old national, you think about the terrible tragedy in Louisville, the heart and soul that Jim and his team showed to the community, and to our associates, I think, is symbolic of the culture that's old national.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm glad you brought that up because from an outsider looking in, their response to a horrible tragedy um, was was absolutely compassionate and immediate.
1: Mm-hmm. And again, that's the culture that Jim's created and building. and. Um, because, you know, they're not, we use the word associate rather than employee for a reason, because these are, this is family and you care about everybody. And, you know, it's, uh, again, I think what he and his team did were just uh, absolutely remarkable.
0: Are there any regrets you have that you look back on and you wish you'd th- done things differently? Yeah, if I had a
1: regret, it's, you know, it's the point we were just talking about it. I was away from home a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I, those are hard. But you know, it's you uh, yeah, you know, some decisions you make. Maybe it weren't the right decision. But you know, at the end of the day, you can only look forward. You can't look back. And, you know, and that's in part. You know, even as you think about the succession we talked about earlier, it'd be very easy for me to look in the mirror and say, "Oh, Jim, you should do this. You should do that." But you know, I'm looking forward and. I cheer from the sidelines. I'm his biggest fan, and my role now is to be a better husband, a better father, and do as much as I can for our community.
0: But, mm-hmm. You know, what are you excited about right now? What like what gets you excited?
1: I think the exciting things that are going on in this community, mm-hmm. whether it's the great work we're doing on behavioral health, um, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see what Stephanie brings to the city of Evansville. I'm excited about some of the other things it's an exciting time to be in Evansville and in uh, um, you know if, if I can play a small part in any of that it's it's gonna be fun
0: Talk a little bit about behavioral health because I know just recently uh, University of Evansville opened a new center mm-hmm. uh, to help address a shortage of of providers in our region Tell me about your involvement and
1: well, you know, like many people, our, my, our family has been touched deeply by behavioral health, and we have dear friends that are. everybody's been touched. You know, there isn't a person you can't talk to that's somewhere that somebody isn't struggling with something in mental health, and sometimes it takes the absolute terrible, to, you know, death by suicide or things like that. And, you know, gosh, th- two, three years ago, the mayor, uh, Winnikey, Put together a task force to say what can we do better as a community to, to address some of these issues. And much like everything in Evansville, everybody came together and you know, f- figuring out solutions. So you know the, the most recent one is the partnership between Ue and Easter Seals and the testing at the Emily the, the Young Center. And um, you know we have eight to ten month wait for people to get testing for challenges with behavioral health. Um, Dr. Steve Becker at IU is doing some incredible things with uh, uh, you know the large gift from Bill and Mary Stone, and you know we we believe that at some stage we will be a leader in the ways to treat behavioral health in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. That's a bodacious goal, but again, very you know, uh, you know we've been working with the folks at Riley out of Indianapolis, and the president of Riley, Gil Perry, would say he's never been in a community that coalesced better than Evansville has. That came together, and there's no egos. You know, we've got the president of USI and UE and Ivy Tech all sitting in the same room saying, "What can we do?" We've got parties, Democrats, Republicans coming together, and it's just, "What can we do?" We've got both hospitals. You know, we got Deaconess and Ascension in the same room saying, "What can we do?" And that doesn't happen in every community. You know, in Mm -hmm. Fort Wayne, they're suing each other, and here we're working together to solve the problem.
0: Right. It is exciting to see an area that's that. Seriously, needs to be addressed, and you know, in terms of mental health, some real steps forward in terms of investment of programs and providers. And one of my uh, one of the previous episodes of the uh, for our listeners, I interviewed Doctor. Jim Schrader from Easter Easterseals, yeah. uh, child psychologist there, and he talked uh, some about the residency program that they've created and and some of the things that they're trying to do to meet that need. But I mean, he he, he talked about I mean, sometimes I see a psychologist. It might be a year or more wait.
1: You know, so again, back to your example, Jim Schrader and Easter Seals. Those residents are going to work at the UE uh, Mental Health. So that's the great partnership that is Evansville, and it, it's uh, yeah. But you know, it, it's it's an epidemic that's national. Um, everybody's trying to figure out a solution and. I think we've got a real opportunity to to shine a light on this community as people that are doing it as well as it can possibly to be done.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, that, that's that's one thing a, a great leader can do is set that vision, and I think setting that vision to and and it being bold to say we want to be the example yeah. of how communities can respond to this, yeah. to this epidemic. Until
1: you have a vision, you don't know where you're going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can all get in a room and say, we got to do something, but sometimes you have to set wild audacious goals to mm-hmm. make a difference. And you coalesce around those and it makes a big difference.
0: Sure. What advice do you have for either aspiring or current leaders? Constant
1: leadership is learning. You know, no one knows everything depend on the people around you. Humility is a great trait. Um, I, I, I could do a whole episode on ego and CEOs that read their own press clippings that create issues. Um, you're not only as good as the people you're with. And, you know, again, I, I, you know, people that believe they are the company and believe that they are the only thing that makes a mm-hmm. difference. It just, it doesn't work right? Mm-hmm. Um, so humility. You know, I guess the last thing I'd say, Tad, is values and ethics matter. Mm -hmm. Um, In today's environment, when we see Sam Binkman fried or, you know, the woman from Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, and you see the guy from Binance, uh, you know, bad behavior is bad behavior. You know, George Santos. Um, And values and ethics, you know, those are checks. If they get cash, you can't get them back if you violate that sacred thing. And it's just... uh, Always, always remember to do what's right.
0: Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this um, video. It was with Bill George from the Harvard Business School, and it was on authentic leadership. And he, he cites a study that the only people less trusted than business CEOs are politicians. Yeah. And to me, it says there is this tremendous opportunity to build trust. And that's where we have to start.
1: We do, and we have to be examples. You know, there used to be this uh, you used to do this uh, uh, reliability index or something of that nature. And, and you know, coming out of the financial crisis of oh seven oh eight, uh, the lowest was a politician, then it was a banker, and then it was a CEO. So I qualified in two of the three lowest common denominators. And um, but I think we're our own worst enemies sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, you, you just see terrible behavior and. You know, people that think they're better than others, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I was raised by my grandmother. and She said, everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. It doesn't matter who you are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, you, you just, you, you know, the other thing, you know, I mentioned earlier, you, the shadow you cast is always on. Mm-hmm. And it's the things you do when nobody's watching that make a difference because mm-hmm. you don't quite know. And whether it's letting someone in the elevator before you or doing things, those go a long way to creating mm-hmm. the right culture. You know, you made the example early on when, Jim Ryan and I used to sit at the table at the end of the cash register. We did it purposely, but we were there so people saw we were just normal people. Mm-hmm. We both ate a lot of food, but we were just normal people.
0: <laughs> right. I I always like that saying that if if you think about if you're trying to decide what to do, think about like what headline you would like on you know the front page of the paper. If they even have newspapers anymore. But, <laughs> but, uh, it's a whole other podcast. <laughs> but, but thinking about that, like, you know, would I be proud of this being publicized to the world? It's exactly
1: right. You know, and it's, uh, particularly in a town the size of Evansville, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere you, you're you always on. And, right. uh, you know, you just, you know, you've got to project the right image. But, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to be authentic about it. You have to be mm-hmm. genuine. It can't be just, well, I'm out, I better be a good guy when, mm-hmm. you know, the reality. So, it's, right, you know, it's just, we're all the same people.
0: Right, right. I um I know I was talking to a client and they, their prospective client recently, and they were asking questions about my proposal. And I said, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I, I'm a member of this community. And I said, I want to run into you no matter where I am. And I want everybody to say positive things. They don't have to like me or love me, but know that that you know I'm an ethical person. I'm a trustworthy person. That I do the right thing, and
1: yeah, that's what it's all about, right? Mm-hmm. You know, at the uh, end of the day, uh, your internal values are the most important thing you have, and you know, there's nothing worth violating those over,
0: right? Well, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. This, oh. we, we'll have to do a part two. That this could go on forever, but well, uh, we
1: can, yeah, we can talk about CEOs and egos. <laughs> Well, thank you for all you do for the community and for the university as well as uh, your bagpipe. So
0: congratulations. Well, thank you. Um, that is uh, one of my hobbies that I, I enjoy doing. And uh, it was it was nice of the uh, Evansville Living Magazine to highlight that recently. So, yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, I want to thank you. You are certainly a, a leader I admire and somebody who's done great just amazing things in our community and in the organizations you've served. And I really appreciate you being on the podcast today.
1: You're too kind, but thank you very much.
0: To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com. Thank you for joining us.